0: This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am Stephanie Butnick, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, tablet editor at large, Liel Leibovitz.
1: Shalom to you.
0: And actor Joshua Molina. Howdy. I feel like I can drop the actor. Right, I think it's selling, it's selling you
1: short. Just make me nothing. You're so much more than that. I'm Father, less than humanitarian,
2: Jew.
0: <laughs> and big Jew, Joshua Molina. I'm
2: comfortable with that. <laughs>
0: June is Pride Month, and today we are bringing you two Pride-themed interviews. Our Jew of the Week is the comedian Modi, a regular on the Jewish comedy circuit who recently came out in an article in Variety magazine. And returning to the show as our most gentilic gentile of the week is our friend Father James Martin, a Jesuit priest and editor-at-large for America Magazine.
1: You're very proud of the fact of, that you, you could say je- Jesuit, I was going right? to say,
0: he's been on the show so much that I now know that the phrasing is Jesuit. Father Martin joined us to talk about his work on LGBTQ issues within the church. But before we get to that, before we get to our show today, what's going on, guys?
2: Doing my play eight times a week. Eight
0: crystal knocks a week.
2: Eight knocks a week on Broadway. Come see Leopold <laughs> you only have a month. Left. What, what a great song the Beatles never wrote. Eight nachts a week,
1: it's Nazis. (laughs) So, in our house, it was less theater this week, although we're very excited for the uh, unorthodox special Leopoldstadt Nacht on June 22nd. It was more movies. Here's the thing that I've been thinking about a lot this weekend there's a concept in rabbinic Judaism called the Ridata Dorot, which is basically the idea that with each generation that passes, we get just a little bit dumber. Not that specific people are dumb or that there's something in the air or water, but just that every generation has just a little bit less of a spark compared to the one that came before it, leading, of course, in the rabbi's assertion all the way back to Adam, the first man who was just like genius, angel-like, terrific, godly creature. With that in mind, this weekend, I uh, exposed my children for the first time ever to the cinematic masterpiece that is Billy Madison.
3: <laughs> Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.
1: Which I was convinced that they would take in the exact same spirit I took it. It's like, oh, this is delightfully idiotic to see a grown man in a tub being like, shampoo is better, like conditioner is better, I make your hair silky smooth. And they were watching it. and. They're like, oh, yeah, well, Professor Madison makes a good point. Conditioner is indeed has its merits. (laughs) And I was watching them kind of watching it and not really laughing. I mean, being amused, but not getting the same kind of like profound, idiotic joy that I did. And I sort of realized like all their comedy slash cinema slash visual arts it all comes from the internet. Skits are their thing, like YouTube videos, like very, very brief. Even the hour and twenty-three minutes of Billy Madison was like an hour the and slow 20. comic build that is Billy Madison. Too much character development. Like, oh, he has to go through all of school. Right. <laughs> like, no, I can't. No. I can't sustain this. The three-minute mark is all they could handle. And I'm thinking, wow, like I understand why when I show them The Godfather, they're like, no, this is three hours and just just no way we're doing this. But an hour and twenty minutes of Adam of Adam Shandler talking in this voice for the most of the movie. Um, Am I crazy? Or are we really losing some real spiritual genius here?
0: So first of all, I love that there's like a rabbinic concept for "get off my lawn." Of course, right. kids these days
2: yelling at clouds—that's us. First, I'm I'm knocked out. I didn't realize there was a Jewish thought that things are getting worse and worse. Our intelligence and taste is vitiating over the. I always thought it was Tikkun Olam, and we were leaving the road a little oh. bit. The way uh, that they was the, other direction.
1: the way that they describe it, it's basically compared to our ancestors. We're like donkeys, and not. Donkeys of famous rabbis, but plain donkeys is the actual Talmudic line. It's amazing. That's so bleak. Is it though? Or is it really an invitation to be like, hey, first of all, don't think that you know better because, oh, you have YouTube and therefore access to everything. That's not an invitation to any kind of smug superiority. But also warning us against precisely what we're seeing right now. Being like, look, it is incumbent upon you to learn because old man rant number 17 or whatever i'm on right now when we were coming up and you got into music you really felt compelled to be like okay to be a serious person i am now going to listen to as much as I can. Like, I'm going to hear all the Pink Floyd, all the Rolling Stones, all the Beatles. So I could have some kind of education so I could actually say, well, you know, I'm into it. I know about it. This is like that. And Kids Today is like, no, it's enough for me to just know what I like. I don't need to listen to anything beyond that. Just curate some playlist that suits my mood today. And that's that. I think I'm like that
2: too. I feel no need to have a broader, greater picture or in-depth knowledge about something. Listen to something like, oh, I like that. That will lead me to try listening to more and see if I enjoy <laughs> more work by the same artist. But the idea that I would have to know the full scope and breadth of an artist's work before I decide, I like this cut. Uh, no. Am I the only mentally ill person then? in, in the same No, no, I'm, sorry. Not, <laughs> I'm not hitting you for that. Maybe it's a, a uh, fault with me.
0: No, I think, Joshua, you have like an openness, a sunny disposition.
2: Huh, well, I'll take it. And not just laziness.
0: Yeah. No,
1: but sunny disposition is just right. Because, you know, like I feel for me. And by the way, this is a hella Jewish thing. Like, it's almost a sense of a Wait, sunny
0: dispositions are a Jewish thing? No, no, no.
1: What, what what I'm about to say is is the kind of the Jewish thing because no sooner had I discovered something that I like than I feel a sense of like crushing burden. Like, oh, great. Now I have to go out and learn about 16 other things that relate to it because God forbid, I will just enjoy this one thing that I knew. Oh, yeah. I'm into the Mishnah. Now I also have to know the Gemara.
0: Liel, that is a thing about you. You do not do moderation. No. You said, I want to do... A daily podcast about the Talmud that has to run for seven years. That that's the construct of the show is that it runs every day for seven years. And you did it. You're, that's you're very doing Jewish it. It's a to me.
1: It's a sort
2: of like, look, if you're into it, like get really into it.
0: I dabble. But I, I too, Joshua, am lazy.
2: I'm intellectually lazy. I'm physically lazy.
0: Yes. Emotionally lazy. I do it lazy. all.
2: Emotionally lazy. <laughs> certainly. Um, but I, I don't know. I think maybe um, I've tried. I'm trying to think of a, a parallel. My kids are 25 and 21. I tried to play Seinfeld for them, and they were like, this isn't funny at all.
1: Yeah.
2: So much so that it ruined Seinfeld for me.
1: <laughs> like, you were like, like you right? know what? <laughs> this, re- this isn't really
2: funny. Yeah, thanks, jerks. However, I thought this was really funny. Um, they did not have an in-depth critique, just flat out, this isn't funny. I think they found it caricatured, maybe to the point of slightly being offensive, and it didn't resonate with them at all. Hmm. Like, turn it off. <laughs> My kids felt
1: exactly the same way.
0: Wow.
1: Although, sadly, they did connect with friends, even though I'm I'm contemplating just forbidding it.
0: I want to say that's all the rants you're allotted this episode, oh, we, but I know that uh, I know you will exceed that maximum. Only just begun. I will say I want to I want to be real with our listeners. I am not in the studio with you. I'm in my home studio. I'm very sad to be missing out. And the reason I'm not there is because my family, as is the joy of having a toddler, we got felled by the most recent stomach bug going around the New York City toddler set. And what is it, like ametophobia? Like people don't like hearing about other people being sick. But my biggest takeaway from like my tough night with little Edith is just that like none of us will be welcome in any pools. And we'll ah. swim. <laughs> True. We never swim again. <laughs> we will never. She'll never learn to swim at this point. News
2: of the Jews. Oh
0: yeah. N-O-T-J news of the Jews. <laughs> So, you know, we've talked about the Broadway show parade, but I think it's time to talk about the Celebrate Israel parade. How I found out about the parade was actually that yesterday I was walking on the Upper West Side and someone said, Stephanie, and I looked over and someone was like, I listen to your podcast. And I said, hello. And she said, why aren't you at the Israel parade? And I was like, today is the Israel parade? (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. It seems to have been... A big year for the parade.
1: I should say she ought to have said, Stephanie, former Israel Day Parade Grand Marshal.
0: Yes, yes. Joshua, Liel and I used to be, we're one-time Grand Marshals at that parade. Oh, I'm
1: sorry.
2: One time? When was that? What year was that?
0: Well, Liel done it a few times.
1: <laughs> I'm a
2: two-time Grand Marshal of the parade. To the surprise of precisely All no you one. need is an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar.
0: <laughs> exactly. And a Tony.
2: And you're P P-E-GOT. It's a E-GOT-A-I-E.
1: I got. So I will not be receiving a Pigot because I develop a strong animosity for the parade. Is that a permissible hot take? Winding up for a round. Why? Why do you hate <laughs> a parade?
0: I love a and parade. What is it? What is like? Give us someone who does not live in New York. Tell us. So what first this of all,
1: is. for someone who does not live in New York, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, <laughs> it is the annual Israel Day parade, which attracts primarily, at this point, I would say, exclusively. Jewish day school kids who march up Fifth Avenue. And there are always demonstrators, most of them usually, people who dislike Israel enough to actually go stand outside and shout at people marching for Israel. But this year was different. How is this year different from all other years, you ask? Because this year, there were many more protesters, all of them Jewish, all of them there to shout out the many, 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 many Israeli dignitaries who came to march in the parade because this is now a continuation, a local version, if you will, of the anti-BB protests that are going on in Israel. So this happened in full force. At one point, one of the Israeli ministers gave the protesters the finger, which made big news for a very small No, century. no,
2: he was just telling them to smile. So
1: so so he says, with with both of his <laughs> lifted, um yeah, kind of uh, which is, you know, it's a very Joker Heath Ledger Joker move. <laughs> Back to the notion of parades. First of all, look, I love parades, but I think parades should have a pride of place. If you've taken over a country in a war or at the very least, like won a World Series, sure, have a parade. Like it's, a, it's an expression of like imperial might. It, it should be respected as such. It's a thing, you know, you're marching down the street in numbers. Like it has this kind of built in like cool fashy vibe that I think we should kind of respect. And not kind of belittle. So, like
0: parades are not for Jews.
1: No, here's the thing, and and this is the thing that really baffles me recently as I've been giving it more and more thought. What is the point of a sovereign nation sending literally three quarters of its government to another sovereign nation to march in the street of that sovereign nation and say, "Hey, hey guys, we're, we're here. Look at us. We're we're Israelis. We're proud. We're strong." Isn't the whole point of being a proud and strong independent sovereign nation to say like? Guys, we don't need to convince anyone to like us or march with us. We're here. In fact, if you want to, you should come march with us because we're very comfortable with who we are. I don't know. There's something so steadily about it.
2: Perhaps. I would just counter that I think among the nations, Israel somehow feels the need to make the weak sauce point that it has a right to exist. Right. And so that tends to be the sort of rallying cry that we have. So we have parades and rallies where we're like, we're a country. It's a sad state of affairs, but it's a point that has to be made. I don't know if it's enough of a rallying cry but for does us.
1: it? Do you feel like it has to be made? Or at this point, it's like, guys, you know, fuck you. We're Israel. Like- yeah, no, I'm, that,
2: that's certainly a, a fine way to respond as well. And many people do. But to the extent that I'm involved in Jewish community and Jewish public life, it started for me when I went to a rally that the Los Angeles Jewish Federation put together in the year 2000. And they asked me to sit on the dais for this rally completely apolitical, just to support Israel's fundamental right to exist and to exist in peace. <laughs> and I said, well, sure, I'll be happy to. And then I, when I went to sign in at the celebrity sign in desk, they didn't know who I was. <laughs> and I was like, I swear somebody invited me. I'm supposed to be sitting on the, you know, and you're not a celebrity when you have to spell your name twice that's, slowly. That's right. uh, but then I got onto the dais and there were no actual celebrities. This is in Los Angeles where you can't shake a lulav without hitting a famous Jew. And I realized when I asked afterwards to this entertainment liaison how they worked so far down the list to invite me. She said, oh, if it has to do with Israel explicitly, nobody will come. So the famous Jews of L.A. will send money and they'll support and they'll do it maybe anonymously, but it's hard to get anyone out even when the message is just Israel has a right to exist. Now, this is 20 plus years ago, but I think I here we are point. 23 years later and yeah, we still have changed. to have a parade that says, Look, maybe
1: Maybe it's just my immense privilege here. And I mean it sincerely because I never had to doubt any of this or question any of this. And it just came so naturally to me being a ninth generation Israeli. So maybe it's easy for me to say, like, Fuck you, if you! You don't, don't need the
0: parade processes. to remind you. <laughs>
1: Every day's a parade for me.
2: Well, I got caught up in a whole other thing, which is that my yeshiva, my day school, Westchester Day School that I attended for eight years as a kid, invited me to march with them. I planned to march with them before the matinee that I was then going to have that day. And then I read Trua's statement about why they were not participating in the parade because all these ministers, vile, <laughs> felonious fascistic ministers among BB's cabinet were going to participate. And all of a sudden I felt like, oh, this thing is supposed to be completely apolitical. Now I'm, I'm walking, I'm marching, and people are going to either assume that I'm supporting these people or not. And so I, I decided not to participate. I was moved by Trua's statement. I understood that I could also have marched as part of protest or made, my, but I wasn't going to be part of a contingent of my Day school and standing there and saying I'm here, but I don't agree with you know with the
1: Judean People's Front, not the People's Front of Judea. Absolutely,
2: a tsunami of of, of Jews now on Twitter are giving me grief for not showing up and not you know it's.
1: By the way, this conversation right here is if anyone ever doubted that the state of Israel is a miracle, it's Jews. (laughs) Jews made a state. Listen to us, we got we got it done. It's an actual real state made up by people like us.
0: And it is really funny because I think that that is understandably, but also sometimes frustratingly overlapping, right? This idea that like, you know, we support the state of Israel doesn't necessarily mean that you support every single thing the government of Israel does. And I feel like I don't know if we conflate that ourselves, but like no one really assumes it for other countries like you could be American, and no one's like, "Well, you're behind every single thing every government does." So I think. Right. Well, that's gay- what someone else said
2: to me. Well, uh, this is the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Why you're not marching in the celebrate Israel parade <laughs> uh, when Trump was president? Did you not celebrate the Fourth of July? I said, <laughs> and I said, "Well, I certainly didn't march in a parade with Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon, nor would I have." So, thank you for making my point. Well, if it had been the Steve Miller Band. Oh, I would have, in the yeah. second, I would have marched
0: with the Steve Miller band. Yeah, I'm mostly troubled that I didn't even, like, why wasn't I invited to the parade? I don't yeah, want to Why I,
1: aren't you a repeat grand marshal? Take that, parade organizers.
0: No, but I think I think it's tough because there's a way in which these judicial reform, like all the protests in Israel are like confounding everyone's brain and making it just like so complicated for people who are, who don't necessarily like specialize in this stuff, right?
1: Oh, well, next year we'll march in the parade parade. John or Leah Frank.
0: Josh, I, I'm really actually impressed that you were going to go to a parade before a matinee. Yeah, me
2: too.
0: That was like a lot of, that was, you right? must really, I'm not yeah. that
1: lazy. Yeah, no, you didn't get to call <laughs> yourself lazy if you do that. Because if I had a matinee, like I
0: on, on a Saturday or a Sunday, Then I would again, I found a way out. I was
2: like, oh, Israeli ministers going, I'm out. That's exactly what I would do. <laughs> Anything.
0: I wouldn't be part of any parade that would have me as a marcher. <laughs>
2: exactly.
3: Because I'm a
1: Our Jewish guest of the week is one of my favorite Jews of this or every other week, one of the funniest comedians working in America or anywhere right now. He is the great Modi. Maybe he has a last name, too. We maybe will discover it later in the interview. He joined us to talk about his career as a gay Orthodox comedian and tell us about what he calls Mashiach Energy.
4: shake
1: your tree, lovey-dovey,
0: lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey all the time. Modi, welcome to Unorthodox.
4: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: This is exciting for me because I actually didn't realize you had a last name. So you're Mordecai. M- M-
4: McNasby. McNasby. <laughs> I'm kidding. Rosenfeld. Rosenfeld. Does it fit?
0: Yeah. So you're Mordechai Rosenfeld. Correct. Wow.
1: So we want to get right down because we have a lot to talk about, but we want to start with a very personal question. And I'd like to ask you to tell us about how you came out to your parents as a comedian.
4: It was very subtle. They didn't... Uh, Again, I became a comedian. It wasn't like I woke up one day and said, I want to be a comedian or I ever had this in me. When I became a comedian, it was because I was working at Merrill Lynch and my friends, I used to always imitate the secretaries that were there because we worked in the foreign office and there was a lot of languages and over the top characters. And my friends said, you got to do this on stage. So that's how I began doing stand-up. I did an open mic that my friends arranged. I had never been to a comedy club before. And little by little, I started doing it at night. And then when it started picking up, and my mother found out that I was doing it, she's like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about me? Wh- wh- why? Wh- what's <laughs> One time we were actually, I, I remember we were at the same, we hotel with my aunt, Ofra, and two of their friends. And my mother turned and she goes, make stand-up. I want to see what you talk about. (laughs) And then uh, this is a public almost eight months in. And I had like some show at Caroline's that my mom sent my sisters to go see just to make sure I wasn't talking about her. And were you? No. Back then I was doing these over the top characters with just accents and just milking laughs out. Not like uh, I hadn't developed my Jewish voice yet. So that's how I came out to my mother. Slowly, she began to hear that I was performing after work.
0: And now you've just sort of perfected the genre of Jewish comedy, I would say. You do bits about wow, like- Wow,
4: what a compliment.
0: As, yeah, take that Mel Brooks. You do bits about the differences between Ashkenazi and Sephardi Jews. For
4: Sephardic people, everything is a school. Everything's a, a, a sign of something good, right? Yeah. Oh, the wording has, has rained. This means that it's gonna be a very profitable couple. Ashkenazi, it's raining. I'm not paying the caterer.
0: Like, you really have this very, very, very unique and specific brand of comedy at this point.
4: Okay, I, I will take that. And I, I want you to know it's not just, you know, my theme for everything and, and the name of my special that's coming out is called Know Your Audience. And you really, especially in the Jewish audience, you need to know your audience. If I'm performing for people 80 and above in Florida— It's one show. If I'm doing a show at the Comedy Cellar, it's another show. Even though they all know this is a Jew from New York on stage, they're going to understand the joke, but they understand that this is a Jewish comedian. And if I'm performing in front of a Orthodox crowd with a mechitza, the divider down the middle, you have to know your, your audience. So it's, when you say perfected for the Jewish audience, it's a big, diverse crowd.
0: Can you tell us about Moshiach energy?
4: Yes. Mashiach energy. That's the goal. That is the goal. I got to show you something. Hold on. This hat, this hat, my Mashiach energy hat. You see <laughs> nice. This hat, this hat I want to tell you right now, from my website, it's been going to Chile, Venezuela, every part of Canada that you've never heard of. Van, Van Ubo, Ontario, Shmaberry, e- everywhere in Canada. Crown Heights, obviously. <laughs> This hat has gotten... Mashiach energy is going around. It's it's, it's happening. It's happening. What do you mean by that? Because you said when you perform, you feel it's like a big Mashiach energy. I just had a big one this past week. I was in Baltimore Hebrew Congregation. And they have a theater, besides the shul, a theater that's set up like a mini... with, with the Rockettes perform. Yeah. What's it called? Radio, City, Radio Music City, City Music Hall. 600 seats. It's a reformed synagogue. But... All of the conservative, reform, Orthodox Jews, non Jews all came. 600 people came. And it was that's Mashiach energy. That is is that that is messianic energy. Everybody's coming together. No one cares who's keeping Shabbat or not keeping Shabbat or whoever does whatever they want. And we all had amazing time, amazing. For one hour, we all laughed together. That's Mashiach energy.
1: You know, we spent a lot of time and energy, non Mashiach energy. On these really idiotic divisions in the Jewish community. But when I see you perform, it's kind of incredible because on the one hand, you are very clearly deeply immersed in all things Yiddishkeit. Mm-hmm. You have a set that feels deeply Jewish. But on the other hand, as you just said, it will not alienate a non-Orthodox audience do you code switch when you do it do you come up be like oh here are the from jews i'm gonna make a bunch of jokes about kiddish and oh here's the comedy club in a regular city i'm gonna talk about marriage like what
4: what do you do sometimes you're doing a show for a jewish audience and there's a non-jew in the audience while i'm doing the act i explain it to the non-jew there which makes it really really funny and when you do a show at the comedy cellar obviously it's not a jewish venue it's not a jewish audience but you're giving them a flavor of Jewish. And I'm giving flavor of like, I'll do more material about being married and and all of that kind of stuff. But it's still, they have a flavor that this is a Jew from New York.
1: Well, I think that's that's hard to miss from the moment you step yeah. on stage and and start talking. But speaking yeah. of being married, so you recently gave an interview in Variety, I believe. Yeah. In which you spoke very openly about your marriage, about your husband, which was something that I think some of your fans in, in the Orthodox mirror, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, raised an eyebrow. They said, oh, you know, well, maybe we knew Modi was openly gay, but here he is talking about being married to a
4: man. What prompted that decision and how was it received? It was, again, Mashiach energy. Leo, my husband, who runs everything, he sees on one of my followers, one of my, uh, one of my followers, one of my Jesus disciples, Christ, one, of my, the uh, one of my a, disciples, chassidim. one of my people uh, yeah. follow. One of the people following me on Instagram, he runs everything. So he, he sees who, whoever's following. So it's not the Jews who, who run it everything. It's <laughs> yeah. Leah. So, no, it's Leo who runs everything. And he sees it, this woman from uh, Variety magazine. She's a big fan. Like She looks like the energy of like everybody you ever went to camp with. It's like that girl. And Malina this is Melina Saval.
0: Saval. Yeah, we love her. Yes. Like, yes. She's amazing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we know her. We love her. Yeah. You've interviewed her? Oh, she's she writes for us. She's great. Had we married, she'd be Melina Melina. <laughs> she's the best. And we met with her, we had dinner with her, she came to a show afterwards, she got it. And the reason we, I'll tell you what it is, we put that energy out there. Leo knew that we need to address the fact that I'm I'm gay and I'm married to a man, and we should take control of the narrative. Rather than some right-wing crazy Jewish newspaper, you know, doing some horrible article, let's do this where it belongs in variety this is i'm an entertainer this is the top magazine of entertainment and but to answer your questions we wanted to take control of the narrative here's me i'm still doing shows for the jewish community i'm gay and i'm married to a man and it has nothing to do with anything i'm going to i'm still going to deliver a show that's going to be amazing for you And that's how that happened. And then we did a follow-up article with Jewish Telegraphic. Mm -hmm. JTA. 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 You know, and then got more specific about the Jewish stuff than we did with the variety piece. And that's it. We put it out there and no one cares. No one gives a damn that I'm gay. I promise you. It's only been positive one or two nut jobs, just writing, just crazy things, but It's just been nothing but positive, and people who are gay sent us information about them and what they're going through, and we've helped in whichever way we can, and it's been great. Is that what you expected, or were you apprehensive about how
2: the interview would be received?
1: Right. Didn't you worry, like, oh, wow, you know, some of these more conservative shuls are not going to invite me because they may think that I'm not, like...
4: Oh, my God. What an amazing way to filter that garbage out. Hmm. What an amazing. Let them hire a mentalist or a juggler, whatever the hell they. But they're they're still calling. The phone doesn't stop ringing. Boruch Hashem. Day and night we get phone calls. And you know what it's opened me up to? The reform and conservative Jews, which are so easy to work with. Oh, my (laughs) God. Are they easy to work with? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just great. It's just been great.
1: This is amazing. So, so, you came out as Jewish to them, They're right. like, oh my God, Modi. <laughs> I, I came out as Jewish. Are we moving to a new phase in embracing, accepting, understanding, opening up here, or is there still a long way for us to go when it comes to treating all gay Jews, but especially gay Jews in the more observant community, as really members of the community?
4: I think it's definitely moving forward. It's definitely moving forward. People, you know, you have your children and your, your kid comes out to you and he's gay. And you, what are you going to say? No, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to have you. This isn't what God wants. You know, it's still your child. I, I don't have children, so I don't know. But I'm assuming this is if you love your kid. You know, when your kid comes out to you, the first thing you should do is ask them what would make them happy. Even if you want to just say, no, you're going to go see a rabbi, you're going to go change this, you're going to marry a woman, you're going to, you know, just first start off with what will make you happy. Have that conversation and that, you know, with the kid and then take it from there. Then you can speak to rabbis who are good at this, you know, like Rabbi Ironhorn in LA and all kinds of rabbis that people go to when they find out that their kids are gay and... Uh, Ask your kid what will make them happy, because what will make you as a parent not happy is finding this kid hanging in the garage with a note on his jacket. Right. So, think it through the way you act with your kids.
1: Rabbi Modi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what yeah. What else Energy
4: be- Modi. I'm not a <laughs> rabbi. I'm a comedian. <laughs> and I always quote things wrong on my podcast yeah. And people I always quote everything wrong From the wrong partial From the wrong tomlet, from the. I just <laughs> quote it And I, and people write back like full Gomorrahs about how I'm wrong And how I'm good No, good hold on You mean to me. tell us And Jews are correcting you? That's what you? they want to do yeah.
2: You're making people happy you're asking what yeah, your audience is. They want to correct happy. you.
4: Yeah. Yeah, they want, yeah, it gives them a reason to to, to to get in touch. Yeah. So,
0: Modi, where can people see you? Where can they follow along with you? Where can we get some of that Mashiach energy?
4: Instagram is the one that I'm connected to. Instagram, Modi underscore live, modi live.com for my shows and merch and all kinds of uh, information about me for tickets that are selling out, Baruch Hashem. And again, my my other phrase is, be the friend who brings the friends to the comedy show. See where I am performing in the area. Let your friends know and, uh, and just make sure to laugh. No Mashiach energy without bringing your friends to the comedy show. Modi, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. mailbox got a letter in the mailbox got a letter in the
0: mailbox mailbox to the mailbox joshua this one is a surprise for you hello unorthodox family my name is ethan lang i'm a 17 year old jewish man from california and will soon be attending syracuse university to obtain my bfa in acting for my recent high school graduation my parents reach out to your new co-host mr molina and requested he record a cameo for me, those little videos that celebrities do. He did so and it was lovely. My parents informed him I was coming off a run as Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof. In his video, he suggested I send him a clip of my performance, if at all possible. Upon hearing of his joining your podcast, I thought that it would be the perfect opportunity to both get in touch with one of my role models and to display my Judaism in a special way to me. Below, you will find two links. So thank you for passing this along to Josh, and I hope that you all enjoy it as well. Ethan Z. Lang, P.S. My father has been raving about your show for over a year now, has binged every single episode, and hardly a day goes by in which he doesn't bring up something funny or something interesting he heard on the podcast. So, thank you for giving us one more thing to talk about. Mr. Molina, do you remember this?
2: I absolutely do remember it. And I will say to young Ethan, first of all, Mr. Molina is my dad. Please (laughs) call me Josh. And he reached out to me elsewhere, maybe through Instagram, but I've watched the clips. And he's yeah. a very credible and fantastic and entertaining Tevye, which is not an easy role to play at the age of 17.
0: That's the yes. great thing about
2: school theater and community theater. You get to play all these great roles. My roommate in college played King Lear, age 21. <laughs> <laughs> you can really dig in to uh, roles that normally you have to wait a few decades for. So yes, I, of course I watched Ethan and uh, I loved your performance. He's terrific. I hope to work with Ethan. Any, any, any notes? No, no, no. notes. Wow. Ethan, you've,
1: you've arrived, man.
0: Um, no notes. And we, we have a surprise for our listeners because Ethan has given us permission to share a little taste of, of Ethan as Tevya right now.
1: Maybe I'll give him notes. <laughs> if I were a rich man, digga, 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 deedle, dig digga, 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 All day long, i baby, but if I were a wealthy man.
0: I went to an all-girls summer camp and... We did regular plays. So the way you knew if someone was playing a man in a show was that they had a French braid in their hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was like, all. and then they, they kind of like checked <laughs> it up a little bit.
1: Okay. So Joshua, this is, this is an important welcome from one of Unorthodox's really greatest listeners. Have a listen. Hello, Unorthodox OG listener, Sippy Turner from Phoenix, Arizona here. We love Sippy and the whole Turner family and have met them IRL several times. I just wanted to give a warm welcome to the new co-host. I'm a huge West Wing fan, so I was excited to hear that Joshua Molina would be joining in the banter. And by the way, I take issue with those of you who say you slash he ruined the West Wing entirely untrue and probably anti-Semitic. <laughs> Ag- agreed? Agreed. I'm curious about his name. On the last two episodes, I've heard him refer to as both Joshua and Josh, so I'd like to know, JM, what's your preference? Sincerely.
2: Tippy or Tsipora. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for asking. No, I guess you preferred Sippy uh, because that's how you refer to yourself. I will answer to either. I think I tend to refer to myself as Joshua, and the rest of the world calls me Josh. I think out of respect to the name my family, my parents gave me, uh, I tend to go as Joshua in credits when I'm working, and I think I sometimes refer to myself that way. But but either works. I'm a Jacob in Hebrew. I will say I'm named after a Jacob. Not sure why my right English name isn't Jacob.
1: Right. But there you go. Or or your Hebrew name Yeshua.
2: Right. But- well, no, I know why my Hebrew name is Yoshua because I was named after a Yaakov. Ah. The question is why. <laughs>
0: why then would that would
2: Yeah, I don't know. I guess it my, I guess like my parents preferred. I know. No offense to any Jacobs out there or Jake's, but I guess my parents preferred the name Joshua.
0: I feel like Joshua Molina has a good ring to it. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know that Jacob does. Though there probably is a Jacob Molina out there listening who I've offended. Gravely.
2: You can write to Stephanie at.
0: <laughs> Do you think that we're confusing people? Because we've been calling you Joshua. Partially per your request, but also because we have Josh Cross on our staff. And so having two Joshes is just very confusing.
2: Fair enough.
0: His full name is producer Josh Cross. So I guess we would that would never be that confusing. I thought it was Josh Crossua. <laughs> He's named after Josh Crossua. Okay, everyone else can continue to welcome Josh or Joshua Molina. Yaakov Molina, uh, send us emails at unorthodoxatabletmag.com. Also, we have a listener line where you can send us voicemails. Why don't you guys call us? And for the young people, a voicemail is what you leave on the phone when people aren't there. It's like a voice note, but like for the future. Uh, you can call our listener line, 914-570-4869. And-
2: James Martin is a Jesuit priest and an editor-at-large at at America Magazine. He's been a guest on the show before. Today he joined us to talk about his advocacy for the LGBT community from within the Catholic community. He's written a book titled, Building a Bridge, How the Catholic Church and the LGBT Community Can Enter into a Relationship of Respect, Compassion, and Sensitivity. His new book, Come Forth, The Promise of Jesus' Greatest Miracle, comes out in September.
0: Father James Martin, welcome back to Unorthodox.
3: Absolutely, my pleasure. Toda rabah.
0: You've been on the show a few times. You are a Jesuit. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means and what, what you want our, our listeners, Jewish and not, to know about the work you do? Yeah,
3: sure. So a Jesuit is a member of a Catholic religious order, and so we would be like the Franciscans, the Benedictines, the Dominicans. We take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. We live in community. Most people in the U.S. would know it's from our schools, Georgetown, Boston College, Fordham, et cetera, all the high schools we run. I've been a Jesuit since 1988, and uh, I work at America Media, and I do a lot of work with the LGBTQ community now, and that's kind of been more my focus in the last couple of years. But Jesuits do all sorts of things, and one of the things we do is, not often, but uh, actually first time ever, is uh, one of us is Pope. So uh, he's he's up there. My Jesuit brother's doing all that. My boss.
1: So, Rabbi, it is always a delight uh, <laughs> to have you on the show. You are <laughs> truly one of our greatest friends and and spiritual teachers. And in this instance, you literally wrote the book, right? You wrote a book called Building a Bridge, which is literally a guide. This is specifically for Catholics, but I think contains a lot of wisdom that us Jews could benefit from as well into how we think about the question of welcoming LGBTQ believers in a community of faith. So give us the gist of the book. What led to it and what has been its reception?
3: Yeah, well, what started it was a tragic event, the Pulse nightclub massacre in 2016, where 49 people were killed in a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida. And long story short, the Catholic bishop's response was really pretty paltry. And that really bothered me. And I thought, boy, even in death, this community is largely invisible to the church. Um, And that led to a Facebook video that I did, I think, that night, um, which led to a talk, which led to this book, Building a Bridge, which is a call for the Catholic Church to reach out to the LGBTQ community with what the Catholic Catechism calls respect, compassion, and sensitivity. So that's basically the, the book, and that' I'm sort of grown into a ministry and a website called Outreach. And the heart of it is this idea that we want to welcome people into the church who are already part of the church. So that's kind of the gist of the book.
1: Walk us through this very powerful and instructive imagery of
3: the bridge. Why a bridge? The reason for the bridge image is not only because Pope Francis uses it a lot, but because the talk that it was based on was called the Building Bridges Talk. You know, in one way, it is a good image because there is a chasm between the institutional Catholic Church and the LGBTQ community that needs to be bridged. But one of the things I realized after the first edition came out was that the lanes in the bridge are not equal because it is not equivalent to say that both sides have been mean to each other. It is the Catholic church institutionally, largely, that has marginalized the LGBT community, not the other way around. So in the second edition, I say it is an analogy, but it's not the perfect analogy. But there is a gap and a chasm over which we have to really, you know, we have to build a bridge.
1: So let's examine these lanes for a moment. When you talk about the church and some of the efforts that it needs to do to welcome LGBTQ parishioners, what are some of the most pressing recommendations
3: yeah well the first one is just listening to them many uh, bishops catholic priests catholic religious organizations simply don't listen to lgbtq people they treat them as sinners you know we're all sinful in one way or another but they're the only ones who are seen as people whose lives are not in full conformity with church teaching whereas that's everyone i mean everyone in some way distances themselves from church teaching and listening to them welcoming them i mean they're already catholic these people are baptized so therefore they're catholic and then advocating for them you know we we are speaking a couple of days after uganda has just uh, criminalized and then decided that it's going to also be a capital offense death penalty right for for being gay and engaging in same sex activities and so for example the church in uganda has the obligation to stand up for these people. So even Pope Francis came out against the criminalization of homosexuality. So all these things the Catholic Church should do. But the the first thing is just to listen to them and treat them with dignity and welcome them as human beings.
1: Speaking of Pope Francis, he, I believe, because I follow you on Twitter, religiously, no pun intended, (laughs) sent you uh, a handwritten note
3: He did. Um, And I met with him about three months ago, and we talked about LGBTQ ministry. He's been very supportive. And I was delighted that he came out uh, in favor of decriminalizing homosexuality, which, you know, in the West, we might think, oh, you know, big deal, right? Like, okay, of course. But in places like, for example, Uganda, it is a big deal, and it's kind of threatening. So I, I thought that was really very bold
2: of him. Not
1: to bring the conversation down a thousand notches, but I'm just very Mm -hmm. curious. When you speak to the Pope, do you speak in Latin? Are you obliged to? (laughs) No. Uh,
3: In Spanish with a a translator. My my Spanish is very poor and his English is not so great. So there's another person in the room, but that's it. It's just the three of us.
1: Back to the other lane of the bridge. I want to hear your thoughts about what LGBTQ parishioners, and yes, I completely agree with you that there is an imbalance of, of power, but it also strikes me that In some cases, though, by no stretch all, some people come into this relationship saying, I wish for this institution to change all of its beliefs and all of its structures to accommodate me. And something that I got from your book is that it's also incumbent upon believers to understand, hey, you know, you're not going to walk into this relationship with any success if your demand is basically well, now you've got to toss away foundational tenets of faith, but rather that the discussion needs to be about other areas of existence. Is that a fair description?
3: I think that's right. And it's also saying that when we talk about church, te- so, so current church teaching is that same-sex activity is forbidden, and so is same-sex marriage, right? There are a lot of LGBTQ people who have made their peace with that. You can compare it to church teaching on birth control. Church teaching on birth control is that it's impermissible. But a lot of straight people have made their peace with that as well, right, in in their consciences. I guess the thing that I try to share with people is that church teaching uh, is more than just those couple of lines in the catechism. Church teaching really for us is a person, and that's Jesus. And when we look at church teaching, we have to look at how Jesus reached out to people in the margins, how he was constantly bringing people in from the outside, always welcoming people, always making them feel at home. And so that's church teaching, too. So I, I often say to people, look, when you're talking about church teaching, talk about the person, right? Talk about the person of Jesus and and what he did for people in the margins.
1: Speaking of bringing in people, you recently had an occasion to bring all sorts of people together by participating in that most Jesuitical ceremony of uh, the Bar Mitzvah.
3: I was, uh, now, as, as you know, I am the most Jewish Catholic <laughs> or Jewish Jesuit that you've ever met. By far. You know that. By far. Um, when I was growing up uh, inside of Philadelphia, I went to probably 15 or 20 bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah services. Um, I went to zero first communion and confirmation huh. services. Uh, so I know, you know, <laughs> I've been to a lot. So anyway, uh, I was uh, leading a pilgrimage through Israel three years ago, I guess, pre-COVID. And we were outside the old city walls and we came upon, as I, I'm sure you know, there, there are lots of kind of bar mitzvah ceremonies there. We came upon a bar mitzvah ceremony where the DJ or the whatever was kind of leading the bar mitzvah boy outside and they were singing Havana Nagila and we literally ran into them right the, the two groups ran into one another and they pulled me in and gave me the mic and said you know sing Havana Nagila which of course I knew and of course I knew the dance the hora. is that right the hora, mm-hmm. and uh, I of course I started dancing and everyone said to me all oh, my Catholic friends said how did you know that and I said how did you not know? that? <laughs> I just assumed <laughs> everyone knew the Havana Gila, but uh, it was great. So and again, you, you sing
1: the Havana Gila in the original Latin. It's important to stress. Uh,
3: <laughs> I, you know, so I sing the Havana Gila with a Philadelphia accent. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was great. The thing that surprised me was that they didn't they didn't know it. I just assumed everybody did. They thought that I'd done this kind of, you know, deep dive into, you know, Jewish religious practices before I went on the pilgrimage. I said, no, this is my adolescence, basically.
1: Well, let me tell you, being now myself in a position of interviewing and hiring bat mitzvah DJs, there's a pretty penny to be made there if you ever want a, a career change.
3: I can imagine, I I can remember some pretty great bar mitzvahs. My favorite one was uh, Gary Kaufman. He wore a yellow <laughs> tuxedo. Uh, it was at Bor Ami synagogue and uh, they had my, this is why I remember it, they had a uh, free ice cream. They had an ice cream vendor. <laughs> Oh wow. And cotton candy. Yes. Wow, indeed. By the way, you can tell me, I never what does or a me mean? Do you know what that means? The light light of my yeah, light of my people. There you go. I never, never knew that.
1: And by the way, this is really a testament to your faith because at no point throughout that ceremony be like, you know what? I want to be part of that. Whatever religion gives free cotton candy, I'm I'm all in.
3: I told my parents I wanted a bar mitzvah, and they said, You can't have a bar mitzvah. You're not Jewish. I felt really left out but i participated i got my ice cream out of it so
1: yeah well we'll see what we could do
3: you have a new book coming out correct i do can you tell us about that book a little bit Yeah, sure. Uh, It's coming out in September. It's called Come Forth. It's about the raising of Lazarus, which is in John's gospel. And it sort of unpacks it and basically looks at what the raising of Lazarus has to do with us. You know, Jesus promises us new life. That's the idea. So when we visit Bethany, um, which is al-Azaria today, um, we go into the tomb of Lazarus and we invite people. We say, you know, what do you want to let die? That's kind of the image I have. Like what kinds of things keep you from living your full life, following God? So what do you want to kind of leave in the tomb? That's kind of the thought of the book.
2: Here is my piece of marketing advice. Okay. Is there no value in releasing the Lazarus book and then four days later releasing it again?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's something, speaking of marketing advice. So, you know, as I've been saying, I I wrote a book on uh, LGBT stuff and I do a lot of LGBT stuff. So as you know, the gospels are written in Greek and that the translation, the most basic translation of what Jesus says to Lazarus at the tomb is, come out. Mm. He doesn't say come forth. But I said to my publisher, there's no way huh. I'm publishing a book called Come Out, you know, and I said, oh, they just think it's another LGBT book. So it's come forth. Yeah, my 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 agent said, uh, you know, you should say it's the it's the fourth in the series. There's come first, come second. Come third. And finally.
2: <laughs> if you like the first three, you're going to love come forth. Exactly.
0: So do you think the reception of gays within the Catholic community is getting better, broadly speaking?
3: Well, it depends where you are. You know, if you're in Eastern Europe or Sub-Saharan Africa, it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. If you're in different parts of the United States, it's getting worse. So much of it is bound up in culture. Different states, as we know, mean that it's getting worse. I think that in general, it's getting better. There's two reasons. One, the first reason I can summarize in two words, and those two words are Pope and Francis. I mean, Pope Francis has been much more open. He's appointed cardinals, archbishops, and bishops who have been much more LGBTQ friendly. But the other reason is, which I'm sure you find in the Jewish community, As more and more people come out, more and more families are affected, and more and more churches or synagogues are affected, and that just changes things. And and one strange thing that's happening, not strange, but sort of unremarked upon, is that priests and sisters and bishops now have nieces and nephews who are coming out, and that just changes them. Mm -hmm. That just changes the conversation. So I think that's all to the good. So overall, yes, but it's really slow. And there's a tremendous amount of pushback. I mean, I get a lot of hate online and protests and death threats and all that kind of stuff. It's, so there's tons of homophobia in the church still, you know, tons. And it's really sad.
2: How do you deal with that kind of negative response?
3: Well, some of it I try to ignore. Sure. Um, you know, when it comes from people who are just crazy. But oftentimes it comes from a bishop or a priest. Uh, a couple of things. One, I remind myself that, you know, my mom, Jesus went through all this. And so why should I be any different? Second, not everybody's going to like me. That was, a, that was a kind of move that I had to make spiritually. I mean, I can't, not everyone's going to love me or like me or approve of me. And then third, there's so much that comes from people's unresolved sexuality. The real rage comes from people who are really struggling with their own interior sexuality. And so I have to just say to myself, look, this is, this is about them.
0: Wow. But
3: it can, be pretty, it can be pretty demoralizing. It's really, it's very heavy. But my gosh, there's so much hate out there. I think one of the things that surprises me is as a religious person, this is also coupled with religion. So when people who are religious hate you, they think that God is on their side, right? Because they're, they're prophetic. So I always say that there's crazy people and crazy religious people, and crazy religious people are crazier than the crazy people because they think they have God on their side. So there's that too.
1: If only there was some sort of divine figure who could inspire the world with love and kindness. <laughs> could learn a lot from that guy. If
3: only if only that would be enough right as they say what is it is it diana diana yeah that would have been enough there you go
1: <laughs> father james martin thank you so much for being our guest always a pleasure
3: Bhavakasha.
0: Russell Liel, start us off.
1: Oh, I will start us off gloriously because tonight, in my hometown of Tel Aviv, Israel, one of the greatest bands of all time, Guns N' Roses, will return for a historic performance. And I don't care how many years have passed or what they look or sound like right now, there will always be one of the greatest kick ass bands ever. And their Tel Aviv concerts are just rowdy and wonderful. And I feel like I'm 17 again. And I wish I could be there.
0: And would your kids want to go?
1: My kids don't know who that is. They're strictly Taylor Swift.
0: As they should be. Josh, you got anything for us?
2: Well, recent birthday, Aaron Neal, my friend and ours. You guys sent him a babka and a amazing day. <laughs> He He sent us a thank
0: you note and then apologized for taking so long to send the thank you note. And now I feel like I need a thank you note for his thank you note.
2: Yes, but give it a few days so you can apologize.
0: (laughs) Um, It's like, I don't have a question. I have a comment. Um, I don't have a thank you. I have an apology. Um, I got a mazel tov to Jewish star Beanie Feldstein. She got married to film producer Bonnie Chase Roberts, and they had a very cute wedding at a summer camp. And so mazel tov to them. The Jewish Internet is very excited. All right, that's it for our show today. Unorthodox is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Stephanie Butnick, with Leah Leibovitz and Josh, Joshua Yakov Molina. You can rep Unorthodox by getting some merch at tabletstudios.com we produced and edited by Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. And our team includes Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Daron Ruskay, with help from Sam Hacker, and Jordana LaRosa. Our episode art is by Esther Werdiger. Our logo and merch is designed by Jenny Rosbrook. Our theme music is by Golem, and our news and mailbox themes are by Steve Barton. As always, send us emails at unorthodoxtabletmag.com or leave a message on our listener line, 914-570-4869. Until next week, shalom, friends.
3: Joshua, now is this the Joshua Molina from TV? Oh my gosh, I'm a big fan.
2: I appreciate that.